The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com. Well, if you've been with us for very long, all through the winter, I guess that's what this is, spring, all through the winter and spring, we've been going through 2 Corinthians, and we have been finding courage there every single week. And this morning, we are looking for the courage to trust, courage to trust with an open heart. I don't know what you think of that, uh, that phrase, open your hearts. Um, there's a, can you feel what it means? There's a vulnerability to it, an openness, a softness, put away uh, skepticism and cynicism and um, the, the ways we protect ourselves. Open your heart. Trust. Now that takes courage, doesn't it? <laughs> How many of you think trust is a difficult thing? Yeah, me too. Um, it's hard to open your heart to someone else. Why? Why is it so hard? Because it's dangerous, man. That's why it's hard. You get hurt. It's painful. Uh, maybe it's easier when you're a kid, especially if you had great parents. But somewhere for all of us, what happened? You trusted somebody, and you got burned. And years later, you can wake up somewhat of a uh, hardened cynic because trust isn't safe. Trust isn't safe. So wouldn't you say trust is in short supply in today's world? Who do we trust? You trust the media? Nobody trusts the media. You trust, uh, you trust political leaders? No, no. Um, can you trust religious leaders? A lot of times you can't. Look around. Look throughout church history. Can't trust that. Um, some of us even know it's dangerous to trust friends and families. We have the scars from it. If we're honest, we can't even fully trust ourselves. Look what Jeremiah said in 17.9. Jeremiah 17.9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? So, have you realized this about yourself? You can't quite trust every feeling and thought you might have? I hope so. So, okay, on one side, we should stay uh, healthy cynics, right? I'm not just going to trust everyone. I'm not just going to trust anything. You can't believe it just because it's on the internet, right? Um, the fact that it's on the internet may mean you can't believe it. I don't know. But we also need to remember that there is no hope. There is no hope in a refusal to fully trust someone. There is no hope. Um, to find any meaning, anything worth living for, or just think about love, to really, to really love, you're going to have to open your heart, and you're going to have to trust. And so what we need is a trustworthy source, a place where we can open our hearts and fully trust, and that takes courage. So in this letter this morning, Paul is actually pleading with the Corinthians 
to open their hearts and really trust him. And the image he uses is like parent to child. Come on, trust me. Trust me. Uh, You need to, you should, you can. And he wants to give them courage reasons, real reasons for them to open their hearts and trust him. So we're going to look at those reasons, two reasons. Number one, it's, um, if you will, the nature of his ministry or who he is in their lives and why. So, So the nature of who he is in their lives and why, that's one reason they should trust him. The second reason they should trust him is he's going to spend a lot of time on his example. He's shown over the years that he's trustworthy so those are, the first, those are two things we need to see, I guess, and you're starting old world, right? You're starting back then in the passage. Uh, what are two reasons the Corinthians should trust Paul? Well, the, the one, the nature of, apostle, of, of his, uh, who he is to them. And second, his, uh, his resume, his life, what he's, what he's actually shown them about himself in the years, about himself in the year that he's known them. Okay, so now, now here we are today, this morning. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you came. Do you sense the distance or the, or the difficulty already? So Paul's writing a letter to the Corinthians. He knows them face to face. He's like, you guys, you gotta trust me. And they have a backstory and they have a history. And here we are a long time later going, oh, these are the two reasons the Corinthians should trust Paul. Thanks for the history lesson. How does it play for us? Well, I want, uh, so as we look at these first two points, why the Corinthians should trust Paul, who he is in their lives, his, his resume, his life, his, the way he's lived. I, we also need to have in our minds as we walk through the whole things, what does it mean for me and how I trust the apostle? Because you do realize we spent a lot of time together reading what he wrote. And if you've ever felt joy in anything you heard here or, or freedom for forgiveness or uh, the beauty of Jesus, or um, if, if, if you've gotten anything good out of anything you've heard as we've been going through 2 Corinthians, it can only be there based on this assumption that what? We can trust him. And so part of this is, I guess, trusting the scriptures more deeply with, a, with an open heart. But then there's another aspect, so I'm telling you the whole outline of the sermon in the beginning. There's another aspect too, and that is this. Paul says in other places, follow my example. He's gonna really plead with these people. It's a unique passage. It's autobiographical. It's his heart. It's how he feels. He's gonna plead with these people to trust him and saying, look, don't you know I'm trustworthy? So we get to see, uh, in a way, why he's trustworthy. And I don't know, help me. What should that do for us? Shouldn't we be like him in some ways? Shouldn't we be like him? Shouldn't, shouldn't we be the kind of people who inspire open-hearted trust in others, in one another? So let's, let's keep those three things in mind. Paul's trustworthy, courage to really trust him, open our hearts because of the nature of who he is in their lives and also in ours. Second reason to fully trust him, open your heart and trust, is because of um, his, his, his life, how he's lived. And then third, our response, both in trusting what he said and also in following his example. So let's dive in. God help us to trust. Here's why we can have courage to, with open hearts, 
Trust the message of the apostle. We're starting in chapter six, verses one to two. Let's just pay attention to that first phrase in verse one. What's it say? Working, what are the next three words? Working together with him. Who's working? Uh, Paul is working. Apostolic team, if you want to call it that, is working. And they're working with someone, working together with him. Who do you think is the him? It's God, isn't it? He's working together with God. Um, So two things to remember. Number one, when Paul writes his letters, you ever notice it? Paul and, and what's the next word he is? I'm Paul and I'm an apostle. So what's it mean to be an apostle? Hugely important idea, kind of forgotten most of the time, assumed. When Paul claims to be an apostle, he is saying, the risen Lord Jesus Remember that guy? Rose from the dead, promised king, son of God, the risen Lord Jesus appeared to me and made me an apostle. Jesus picked me to do this. And what it means for me to do this is that the the risen Lord Jesus picked me to proclaim the risen Lord Jesus, to tell you about him, to tell you what it means to follow him. And so let's just think of this idea of trust. Uh, Do you trust the risen Lord Jesus? That's a big question. Do you trust him? If you do, do you trust his ability to choose apostles to proclaim him? And do you trust that Paul is an apostle? If you want to dig into this, read the book of Acts. Read it yourself. Um, Luke wrote that about Paul's life. See the difference Jesus made in Paul's life and see the calling on Paul's life from Jesus and see the evidence of that calling in Paul's life. Read it in the book of Acts. But the point is, in other places, the scriptures say the church is built on the foundation of the apostles. In one sense, we're like, well, how does that work? They're all long dead. Well, how do you know what the apostles thought? Subconscious clue. Okay? We have their writings about who Jesus is and what he's done and what it means to follow him. And you won't find anything more trustworthy about Jesus than what they wrote as far as timing, as far as diversity, as far as historical accuracy, just period. This is the way to know Jesus. It's the only way to know Jesus. The message of the apostles, are they trustworthy? If they're not trustworthy, let's go home. Matt needs a new job. Let's quit. If they are, open your heart and trust. Paul's working together with him. It reminds us of what we talked about last week. Look at 2 Corinthians 5, 20 to 21. Some of the most awesome verses in scripture. 2 Corinthians 5, 20 to 21. Paul writes, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So Paul calls himself an ambassador. He represents King Jesus speaking for God. In fact, God makes his appeal through us, Paul says. So if you want to hear God's word, where do you listen? Paul. 
God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to what? Be reconciled. So God's using Paul, right? Paul is working with God. God's using him to bring about this ministry or this work of reconciliation. Remember, reconciliation here is a, is a relational term, term. So we wouldn't trust God. The great picture of that is Genesis 3. We believe the snake. God's not good. We don't trust him. That's the heart of every sin we've ever committed. He's not trustworthy. He's not good. We can't believe him. So our shoulders turn. We don't trust you, God. And then God, because he's holy and just and righteous and hates what's evil, his shoulders had to turn because he loves justice and we're evil. But God is a God of reconciliation. He says, let's be friends. And he grabs your shoulders and turns you to himself. And the way that he can restore a loving relationship between you and him is that his justice is satisfied in Christ. Verse 21, for our sake, that's God's love for us, he, the Father, made him, the Lord Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin. So Jesus, who never tasted sin, never did it, didn't know it. It was a stranger to him. Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin on the cross. He was treated like I deserve to be treated. And like you deserve to be treated, and like everyone who ever got saved deserved to be treated, he was treated like that on the cross so that we could be the righteousness of God, fully righteous in him. That's amazing. So God has done everything necessary in his son to make you right with him so that you can be reconciled face to face again, friends. That, and, and the message is, trust Jesus. Will you believe? Do you trust? Do you trust do you want to come and be face-to-face, forgiven, loved, reconciled to God? Do you see what's happening? We're working with him, Paul says. Isn't God restoring trust? Our sinful, cynical hearts are like, God, you're not good. I can't trust you. And God, what does he give you? His son? Where do the apostles tend to look when they want to prove God's love? It's not your circumstances. That wouldn't work very well. It's not, oh, he loves you. Look at the way you, you obey so well. It's always the cross. How much does he love you to give undeserving people, how much does he love us to give, to give us his son? We're so loved. Can you trust him if he would give you his son? Be reconciled to God. He's done everything to make you right with him. He's done everything to show you his love. Be reconciled to God. Trust Jesus. And the only way you can trust Jesus is if you trust the apostles' words about Jesus. Paul continues in 6, verse 2. He quotes the prophet Isaiah. In a favorable time, I listened to you. In a day of salvation, I've helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. The reason Paul quotes this text, I think, is Isaiah 49 has this just beautiful chapter on how God's going to keep all his promises to the point where he's going to renew the very structures of the world and bring peace and justice and joy. He's going to save people from all nations. God's going to get it done you can trust him. You're, you're looking for a better land to live in. You're, you're ready for the new heavens and the new earth and a new body. You're ready to be done with the suffering and the sin. Are you ready for that? God's gonna do it. 
That's what Isaiah 49 is saying. God's gonna do it, you can trust him. And the way that party started was when Jesus came and his perfect life and his death and his resurrection, the first fruits of what's coming. And we've had part one and now we're waiting for part two when he comes back. And so Paul is saying all these huge promises of God, the story God is writing, it has started. Grace is offered now, be reconciled to God now. Now's the time. Now's the day of salvation, that's what he's saying. You gotta trust. You gotta trust me is what Paul's saying. Because look at verse one. Working together with him then, we appeal to you, what's that next phrase? Not to receive the grace of God in vain. What do you think that means? Just walk through some of the words with me. What's grace? Undeserved love, favor, just God pouring out goodness on you when you don't deserve it. What's vain? Some didn't work. It's like dust. It's like smoke. It didn't happen. Didn't grab. Didn't last. Wasn't worth it. Don't receive the grace of God in vain. The idea is like this. Don't miss your chance. Don't miss your chance. If all this is true, if there's a holy, awesome, beautiful God, and you could know him, do you want to miss that? If there's a holy, awesome, terrible God who hates sin and is going to punish it, do you want what you deserve from him? No. This is the chance to get ultimate joy forever in God's face and to miss out on the justice you deserve. It's right here. Don't miss this. Now's the time. Take it up. The offer of the gospel is made to you. Be reconciled to God. Trust Jesus. We should be running like, ooh, ooh, me. <laughs> Let's go. I'm in. Don't miss the, don't miss the chance so, so hearing the message of reconciliation is the grace of God in this context. And to receive it in vain is to hear of who Jesus is and what he's done and then be like, yeah, but I don't trust you. Do you see? Do you see how important it is to trust the apostle? Because he represents Jesus and the message is coming out. Hey, be reconciled. Be saved. This is what God's doing you guys, you gotta trust, you gotta trust me. That's what Paul's saying. Don't miss the grace of God because in the setting of the Corinthians, there's false teachers come in and they're slandering Paul on every level in every opportunity saying he's not trustable, he's not believable. And so in that vacuum of who to trust, we'll get, guess they're gonna bring in a new message. And guess what it always tends to be? All the, all the cults and other religions are, are kind of boring when you think about it. Their message will be this, the cross wasn't enough You've got to do stuff to get right with God. That's going to be their message. And Paul says, you're going to buy into that some, some of that stuff? Trust me. Trust me. Okay, now back up for a second. 2,000 years later, how many of you have a couple Bibles, you know, 83 Bibles in your living room? Okay. You have 83 translations on any phone app you want on your phone. You know, it's like, instead of turn to page whatever, I could be like, swipe four, you know. Um, we have the Bible everywhere, just lurking. Anybody have any other voices in their heads, too? What are the stats on commercials you hear per day or see per day? I don't know. The official number is a lot. 
And they're all telling you this message on what you need to be happy. And professors in class are telling you about what the good life is. And your own heart and your temptations are saying, oh, I need this, and this is where I should trust, and I should trust myself. And, and people in your past, and this, and that, and here, and there, and everywhere, and politics, and religion. And where are you going to land your feet? What are you going to trust? Because the thing about trust is it's a, it's a vacuum. Wouldn't you agree, by definition, you have to and will trust something? Trust Jesus. Trust Jesus. And how do you know Jesus? Trust his apostles. Jesus made Paul an apostle and some other people too so that we could know him. And so his first point is, Trust me, and here's the courage to do it. God put me in your life as an apostle, and we've seen it in so many other places. It's for your joy. It's for your benefit. I work with you. It's not about me. I'm just here as God's tool to serve you so that you can know Christ. That's the first reason we ought to trust him with open hearts because Jesus has put him in our lives so that we can know Jesus himself. Next reason to trust Paul is from his example. I'm going to struggle not to get lost in the woods on this part of the passage. You see it in verses 3, really, to, to 13. He's going to talk about his example. So I want, I want to see it in big pictures and uh, brush over some of the smaller, uh, smaller pieces. I also want to look at this at two angles. Can you remember what we said at the beginning? So on the ground, the first thing is he's like, Corinthians, trust me. Here's how I've lived, okay? So for us, you know, question, can I trust the apostle? Okay, I've heard what he said. What about how he lived? Can I trust him based on how we've lived? I hope your answer will be, well, yes, and here's why. That's, that's part one. Part two is also, okay, as we're looking at him set up this thing on, here's why you can trust me. Anybody in here want to be a mature Christian somewhat like him? Do you want to be trustworthy do you want to be a safe place for open hearts to come? I hope so. I want to. So don't just look at this as, okay, here's why I can trust Paul. Also look at it from a second level on how can I be more like this so I'm trustworthy like Paul? Right? Let's go. Look at verse 3 to begin. We put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. What's that mean? What's an obstacle? Stops you, from, stops you from going somewhere. That's a physical obstacle. You think he's talking about physical obstacles? You know, he's got an office in Corinth, and there's like barbed wire and stuff, and you're like, of course not, okay? What, what is the obstacle to his ministry? It would be anything where you go, nah, I don't know if he's trustworthy. I can't believe his message. So what, what might that be? So have you ever heard somebody preach good stuff to you, but he's a jerk? And you're like, Matt, look in the mirror. <laughs> Does the behavior of someone's life sometimes deflate the balloon of what they're saying? Paul says, I'm going to do everything I possibly can for that not to happen, as best I can. 
Not only that, cultural things. Paul had to deal with this all the time. It's a different world for him to preach to a bunch of uh, Jews in a synagogue, worshiping the God of uh, what we call the Old Testament, versus going to Mars Hill in the middle of Athens, talking to that, that crowd. Woe so different. Doesn't he do everything he can to be as relevant to that audience? So nobody trips over, oh, you're just trying to get me to be Jewish if they're Greek, or, or oh, um, you don't even appreciate. Isn't he to do everything he can to be as believable and, and um, understood and relevant to who he's with so that nothing gets in the way of his message to them? He's saying right here, we do everything we can to be as trustworthy as we can to everyone in our lives. We do everything we can to try to inspire open hearts so that when, when we relate, we can trust one another. Everything we can. So, number one, you look at Paul and you say, well, that's, a good, that's a good goal. Now, if, you, if you really want to dig into this, study his life, see if he does it. I think he does. Okay, what's the second level? There's, there's him, then the second level is us, me. Is there anything in my life that demeans my message or that makes me untrustworthy? Probably. Is there anything in your life that keeps people from not feeling safe to open their hearts to you? Or somebody might be so intimidated by you or, or there was something you did you didn't apologize for. There's, a, there's an obstacle in the way. You could want to reach out to them, but they, they can't climb over this thing because there's something there. Boy, this, this would play in any relationship. What about, your, your, what about if you have children? Proverbs over and over again, a million times. My son, my son, my son, my son, my son, my son. One of them is, my son, give me your heart. Is there anything in the way that you practice in the way of your kid opening their heart to you? Just want, we gotta look, we gotta ask. We wanna be as trustworthy as we can. What about your spouse? Is there anything in the way from, from open hearts together? What might it be? I don't ask this for condemnation, I ask this because God loves us and he wants us to grow in the gospel. And be more like him. And we're learning from Paul's example. I want nothing in the way. And then he says, three reasons I'm trustworthy. I'm gonna go through this a little quicker. Look at verses four to five. Here's one reason Paul is trustworthy. As servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. And then, what are the next three words? By great endurance. Man. Just go ahead and let out a groan of sorrow. Because one way we prove our trustworthy is what? Endurance. Endurance through what? Look at these next words. <laughs> this is great. It's all your life dream. You want to be like Paul. By great endurance in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, and hunger. Your best life now. <laughs> oh, so good. It's, Paul's first thing to say, you can trust me as an apostle, is I endure suffering. 
How many voices out there in Christian land are on TV saying, you know I'm with Christ because I never suffer. And you'll never suffer if you just claim it right. And Paul's like, the proof I'm an apostle is I suffer and I endure it. Wow. Wow. Man, oh, why does it have to be this way? Um, is it easy to fake people out when life is comfortable? Is it easy to hang around somewhere to take part when things benefit you? Yeah. Is it easy to hide your motives when everything's working right? Well, yeah, of course. What about when it all feels like it's on fire? The beauty and the horror of suffering is that it reveals us. Right? You're a nice person until you're anxious, and then watch out. Well, it's just because I was tired. The rats aren't in the basement because the light got turned on. The roaches aren't in the sink because you hit the switch. They were already there. What does God call suffering so often in his word for us? Refining. Refining is wonderful for the gold you get at the end. I assume it stinks for the gold. Because <laughs> you're burning out what? Impurities. How many of you, you don't always like what you see when times are hard in yourself? I'm right there with you. Me too. But this is what Paul is using as a reason to trust him is because when sufferings come, we've endured it. And not only have we endured it, we've endured it faithfully. Look now in verses six to seven. We've endured it faithfully. First thing to show you. By purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit. The who? The Holy Spirit. Then continue verse six. Genuine love, truthful speech, and the power of God. The what? The power of God. So let's start there. He endures suffering with the Holy Spirit by the power of God. Same thing, right? The Holy Spirit gives you the power of God to endure suffering in a certain way. The power, the character of the Holy Spirit in your life. And now some of these words. Purity. Paul says, I'm sincere in my motives. You can see it in my suffering. The Holy Spirit helps me, gives me the power, his character. I'm sincere in my motives, even when suffering. Knowledge. I don't stop spreading the gospel, even when it costs me. Watch his life, it's true. He's in prison, he's like, new mission field. Knowledge. Patience. Oh, he's so patient. He's patient through suffering. Not only that, is he patient with the Corinthians? The fact that he's writing this letter is kind of amazing. That he, he's not like, to heck with y'all. Could have been with this church. Patience, kindness. That means I still want to show goodness and, and love to you in real deeds. I do that even in suffering. Genuine love. I truly, honestly love you guys. That's what he's saying all through this letter. By truthful speech, I don't change what I say based on the situation. I don't butter people up and flatter. I don't use hard words to try to gain power. My motives are the same. My message is the same day in and day out with weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left. This is what I lean on. Um, and just real quick, what, what are those? 
Uh, my mind, your, your mind probably did too, went to Ephesians 6. So just look at this real quick, Ephesians 6, 16 to 18, just to get an idea on these weapons of righteousness. Because anybody, you know, if you're a young boy in here and you got a comic book, you're like, weapons of righteousness. So we got a little, a little bit of context. What is this? Verse 16, in all circumstances, taking up the shield of what? Faith, by which you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. So some of you are, you know, paintball game or something. Yeah, I'm relevant to about three of you in the audience right now. That's okay, you're my people. Um, uh, what, is the, what does the devil actually throw at you? It might actually be easier if it was arrows that were on fire. And you picked up a shield, you know? What does he actually throw at you? He throws at you lies that you will be tempted to trust. And when you trust those, you won't trust God and his word. And it's the shield of what? Faith. Faith is trusting God and his word. So when the lies come, what do you hold up? I don't trust these lies. I have a different source of trust. Different source of trust. Take up the shield of faith. Verse 17, the helmet of salvation. Eh, helmet, what protects your noggin? The, the reality, I think that you're saved by grace through faith. You fall, you get up. You sin, you're still loved. Jesus won it for you. You're safe. It's a weapon. Remember the gospel. Remember the gospel. Take up the sword of the spirit. So if faith was, the shield is believing, the sword is now I'm, I'm working, and what's the sword of the spirit, which is the, I'm speaking God's truth into the world, and it cuts. One more weapon, I'm praying. When does he pray? All the time. With prayer and supplication, God help me, Psalm 25. Don't let me be put to shame. I trust you. Trust God's word, speak God's word, praying for his power in God's word. That's how Paul rolls. That's how he lives. That's what he does. Verse eight, back in 2 Corinthians six. Through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise. When does he change how he rolls? When everything's easy, everything's hard? No, I'm the same. I don't, I'm the same. Praise doesn't flatter us. Criticism doesn't destroy us. That's not what we're here for, human praise. He continues in verses eight to 10. Often doubted, always trustworthy. Often doubted, always trustworthy. Verse eight, we're treated as imposters, yet what are we, Paul says? We're the real apostles. We suffer for the gospel. We're unknown and yet well-known, and that's kind of a not, we're not recognized as an apostle. That's a huge theme in this letter. And yet, God's churches know who I am. God's people know who I am. We're still reading him 2,000 years later. Can you believe that? Dying, yet behold, we live. You know, it's amazing. He's, he's probably getting slandered by false teachers for how much he suffers. How can an apostle who's talking about glory be so pitiful sometimes? Have you seen his back? 39 lashes five times. It's not every day of Friday. I get that in there for the, you know. Um, and yet he holds this up as, as we're outwardly dying, 
we're, we're the ones really living because we're living for the Lord. We belong to him. Punished yet not killed. Severely disciplined. We don't quit. Verse 10. Oh, what a word. Or what a phrase. Sorrowful yet always rejoicing. Isn't this the weight of a Christian's heart? We're always mourning the wreckage of sin and the pain of this world, grieving with one another. And yet, what are we always doing? Jesus has come. We're saved. We're forgiven. We have the Spirit. We know what's coming. Christians are weird people. Because we can do both. We do do both. We pursue both. I will grieve with you and I will rejoice with you and we'll do it in the same service. Because we live in this already but not yet moment where we're still under the wreckage of sin but we know the light is shining, the sun's rising, we know what's coming. Some of us, this is our week this week. This is the last several months. Paul says, it's my life. Then he says, poor yet making many rich. Poor, he doesn't have a lot of money. He stays up all night sewing tents so he can do his ministry. And yet, what is, he do? what is he giving people all the time? The kingdom of heaven. Having nothing, yet possessing everything. Locked in a Roman prison. The only way he's eating is if a friend brings him lunch. And yet, what does he have? Just the son of God sharing his throne with me forever. Christ. What's he saying? Why is he throwing this emotional plea at these people? You can trust me. You can trust me. You know me. And by this point, he's known him five or six years or something. You know I, I've been, I haven't run from suffering, and I did it for you and people like you to share the gospel with you. I endured suffering faithfully by the power of the Holy Spirit and with his character. You can trust me. So hopefully we're seeing this in two ways. I can trust this guy. He's not a fraud. He didn't do this for wealth and money and power. And it's, in fact, it's amazing. Did any of the apostles that we know of that first generation get rich or powerful from preaching the gospel? They all got killed. Except for John, maybe. And he was exiled, and some say he was boiled in oil. I think I would rather be killed. Man, it's tough to be an apostle first century. Why did God do it that way? Because if they all had all these big old kingdoms, we'd be like, well, they're just doing it for the money. You look back at their lives now, 2,000 years later, they weren't doing it for the money. They weren't doing it for the health plan either. There was no Nero care, you know, <laughs> taking care of all their problems. They suffered. And they were in the unique position to know whether or not this was a lie. And so if they were, do you trust them? Trust them. Okay, next level. How can, can we grow to be like them? Are we so faithful, even though on the outside we might not look like much, um, when it comes to the day in and day out of our lives, are we faithful in the character, the power of God, through the worst times, to where somebody could say, I know I can trust that person's heart. I know I can trust them. Where we could say to somebody, open your heart, trust me, and they could say, 
Okay. Third reason, and he sums it up here, at least for our time this morning, in 11 to 13. We've spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. What's that mean? I think it means this. I've been telling you the same thing from the beginning. You've believed it. That's why you became a church. You know who we are. And my heart for you, through all the ups and downs, all the pains, the arguments, the times I've had to confront you, my heart for you has never changed. I love you. Isn't that what he's saying? Our hearts are still open to you. We haven't given up on you. Then in verse 12, you're not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. Ooh. What's it mean to be restricted? Closed in. So I not trust. Why don't the reason you don't trust is because why? They don't have your best interests in mind, right? We all have people we're a little bit afraid of. We're afraid to talk to them. We're afraid to hear what they have to say. We're afraid to open ourselves to what they really think about us because we're afraid we're going to get. I'm ducking behind my little music stand, right? I'm afraid. We're afraid we're going to get shot, and it's going to hurt. So I, I just I don't I don't want to go there. I'm restricted in trusting you. You're restricted in trusting me. And Paul says, hey, Corinthians, when it comes to me and you, you're not restricted by us. You know I've got nothing but your best interest in mind. You're restricted by your own affections. You're listening to the wrong people. You're assuming the wrong things. So in verse 13, he says, in return, I speak as to children, widen your hearts also. I'm no Greek expert looking at commentaries and what I what I can figure out, I think the translation would be a little bit better. Well, it's basically like this. I've loved you. Return that same kind of love to me. That's basically what he's saying. So in return, like, this is a two-way street. It's a relationship. My heart's open to you. I'm vulnerable to you. I love you. I care about you. Open your heart to me, too. And it's exactly what he says in 2 Corinthians 7, verse 2. Make room in your hearts for us. Be open, and he also says in verse 13, I speak as to children, and that's not to be taken like, oh, you're still dumb kids, you need to grow up. No, I speak as to, you're like my children to me. I love you like this. Trust me. Why trust Paul? The nature of who he is to us. He's, he's the apostle. He's an authority to proclaim Jesus. So he's a vehicle for us knowing and trusting Christ himself through Paul. Now's the time of salvation. Paul's a minister of, re- of reconciliation. Trust him. Open your heart to him. What's the application for you there? What's your heart like towards God's word? Is it open to it? Are you looking there for meaning, for wisdom, for guidance, for hope, for identity? Do you trust this message with an open heart where you're, you're diving in, you want to hear more, you want it to form you? That's the, t- that's the first take home. Trust this word. Now, if there are parts in the word you're stumbling over, you're struggling with, they seem contradictory, they seem wrong, they seem whatever they seem, don't just swallow it whole, don't be naive. Let's work it out. Let's study it. We all have places where we're like, well, what? Um, fine, but let's, let's press in. Let's look, let's study in general 
This is God's word, and God's people, we gotta trust it. Open your heart. And really, the only reason to do that, why, we don't worship this. What do we really wanna open our hearts to? The Lord Jesus, do you trust him? Do you trust him? Have you written that blank check of your life to him where it's like, no matter what you give me, I'm yours. Signed, Matt. And he's like, really, no matter what? My time, whenever, I'm, you're mine, I'm yours? I trust you. Is he trustworthy? What about Jesus' resume? What'd he do for you? Just took on human flesh and went to a cross and rose from the dead. If you can't trust him, you can't trust anybody. Third, be a person of trust. Be a person of trust. Are we faithful? Do we have a culture of trust here at Fountain of Life? I want that. I think we do to some respect. But how could it grow? I mean, I hope, I hope I live the kind of life that you feel like you can trust me. Because I know I've failed backwards and forwards, but I think before God I can say I only want what's best for you as a pastor, as good as I can do. I'm no apostle. I hope you can trust what we're studying here. And I hope we can trust one another. Do you, Paul says to the Corinthians, my heart is open to you. Maybe this will just expose me as a wreck, but maybe some of you can relate. Do you ever have untrusting thoughts towards others based on what you're assuming they're thinking about you. So you assume that somebody else is thinking negatively about you based on God knows what, what you did, what you didn't do, just in general. And so you, there's a hostility you feel sometimes in your heart about what that person's thinking. And so you know what it does is it, what was Paul's words? It restricts your affections. Paul goes back to people he probably shouldn't trust, the Corinthians, and says, my heart's open to you. I'm willing to be heard again because I love you. Will you trust me? We need to be that to one another. You need this in your families. We need this in our church to be a safe place for somebody to have an open heart. Now, of course, don't hear me wrong. That doesn't mean you never say hard things. Does Paul say hard things? Like every other word. But it's the way, right? It's the way. I can listen to you have a hard thing to say to me if I'm really convinced that you love me and you have my best interests in mind and you're not wanting to throw me out but you're doing it for my good. If I'm convinced that's your heart, I can hear you. But if you think somebody's just after you 
What are you going to do? Guns out. We've got to protect ourselves. What would it be like to have the courage to trust because we're the trustworthy kind of people? Well, ultimately, if you believe you can trust the apostle, you'll trust the Lord Jesus, and you know that in his faithfulness, you have what you need to take the risk of trusting one another. Let me finish with this quote from C.S. Lewis. Look what good old C.S. said. To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. I like that one. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. Because you're safe in the love of Jesus, let's be safe for others. Let's be worthy of trust because we trust the Lord. And let's come to him and his word with open hearts. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this incredible word that we have. We can look at, study anytime, and trust with open hearts because it's true. We thank you for the legacy of your apostles and how trustworthy they were, and how their hearts were full of integrity and love. Lord, we pray you give us courage to open our hearts more fully to you, to your love, more fully to your word, and more fully to one another. Lord, make us faithful through thick and thin, in and out. Thank you that you forgive us when we aren't. But we pray, Lord, more and more that we'd be able to open our hearts to you, to others, that others would be safe in opening their hearts to us so that we could enjoy Jesus together and give him glory. Pray this in his name, amen. Thank you for listening, and we invite you to visit us Sunday mornings here at Fountain of Life Fellowship. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com.